1: Hello and welcome to Local Zero. You're listening to Becky and Matt and we are here to kick off your 2022 with a huge local energy bank.
0: Hi, welcome and a belated Happy New Year to you all. If it's anything like 2021, we're going to be very busy indeed.
1: I feel like we spent a good chunk of uh, the end of last year reflecting back, and it was really useful. I think we all needed that reflection, that pause, and subsequently the time off over Christmas and New Year's. But we're back, and and we're excited to look forward. Except, Matt, you... I feel like we need to share with our lovely listeners what happened to you last night and why you're a little bit hazy today.
0: Yeah, I had a bit of a Mr. Bump moment. So I play football um, uh, for better or for worse and had a bit of a collision last night. So I think I'm okay. I've, I've been checked out. Uh, I'm, I'm good to go. But uh, yeah, if, if I sort of just tail off and start talking gibberish, then apologies.
1: And as people can probably tell, we're severely missing Fraser because if Fraser was here, he would certainly be joining me in uh, ripping it out of you.
0: He'd be telling me not to be so so nesh and just to, you know just to strengthen up a little bit, but he's not here, so I can wallow in my own uh, you know in my own pity. <laughs> uh, but but today we are joined by some guests, right? So we've we've got some friends of the pod. We've had uh, Dr. Jeff Hardy on before. He's back today, and we've also had uh, Dr. Jen Roberts, also from the University of Strathclyde who has been on before, Uh, delighted they're both coming back to talk a bit more about what lies ahead. We'll introduce all of our guests properly, but before we do, we've got a bit of reflecting to do on a very busy news fortnight since people basically started to pile back from their mince pies and sherry. So (laughs) it's time for good, the bad, and the weird. So, Becky, (laughs) what's on your news roster?
1: Well, I feel like we might want to save, like, good... For the end. That's what I always do. I don't know if you're one of these people, Matt. So whenever I, I I do this in everything, you know, if I get a plate of food, I always like to start with the stuff I like the least and save the stuff I like the most for the end. So I sort of feel like I'd like to save the good news for the end here. Um, so I will... Like,
0: like dessert.
1: Like dessert, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I understand. So for me, one of the things that I read and... I'm sure this will come as no surprise to many people around the the higher energy bills that we are expecting to see that are, you know, on the horizon. In fact, uh, the chief executive of, of uh, Centrica, Chris O'Shea, has said recently in a news article that he doesn't expect these prices to come down anytime soon, doesn't expect gas prices to come down anytime soon. And of course, that is one of the key reasons that we are seeing a huge price spike in the energy bills that we've got to pay. And so for me, I mean, obviously higher prices, but for energy not a great thing I mean you could you could look at the flip side and say well higher prices for gas could be forcing um forcing our hand a bit and maybe creating more of a move to renewables so there could be some good in there but actually when I look at this and think about you know the hundreds of thousands of people that are struggling to pay their bills already that are really yeah. you know very very cold in their homes or even making the decision about you know whether to have warm food or, or good nutrition that's it's not a good news story really no
0: uh, and i'm i'm seeing other stories related to this saying you know Most of the news is focusing on April when the price cap will change. That will be announced earlier than April. But actually, they're saying, well, don't expect that to be the rise. You know, the rise may come in the October price cap. uh, And Citizens Advice, and this is another bad news story related to this, are pointing to how these consecutive rises uh, from April and also October are going to really hit the poorest um, members of our society. So they they were highlighting, in this instance, folk who are on benefits, universal credit, and saying that actually these energy prices would leave single adults on benefits spending a third, a third of their standard allowance, the basic rate of universal credit wow. on energy bills. And that would be in April. That would go up to almost 40% in October. So it's hoovering up huge amounts of support, which people require to, to live... Uh, you know, a reasonable life, a reasonable quality of life.
1: Absolutely. And I guess going hand in hand with with COVID and the restrictions and the fact that more people are spending more time at home. It's just mm. it's just very, very challenging times.
0: It, it is. Um, and w- I've got a weird one oh, to, to, to come <laughs> to. I ha- do have another bad, but maybe we, we link into the weird one here. Because um, some of you may have heard uh, that OVO were in the news this week. So when this goes out, this will be maybe um, towards the, the back end of the uh, the news roster. But OVO Energy, who bought um, SSE's retail arm uh, two or three years ago, were in the news for all the wrong reasons this week. They An email was leaked that identified some handy tips to reduce our energy bills. Now, let me just run through a few of these please for do. you. Please do, please um, and, do. And you have to remember that the price cap is gonna see people, you know, huge increases in energy bills. So people are really r- reaching, and grasping for anything they can do. Now, some of these were peculiar. The 10 simple and cost-effective ways to keep warm this winter. One of the best was, and Becky, you're like this, a cuddle mm. with your pets or loved ones <laughs> to help stay cozy. Um, oh, okay, dear. so you've got a dog, you're okay. Uh, The other was, and I I didn't know this, but uh, the other one was uh, eating ginger, not chili. Chili makes you sweat and that's bad Mm -hmm. uh, because you'll eventually get cold, but eating ginger. So a big bowl full of ginger will sort you out. Um, And a couple of others I loved here. Uh, If the kids are getting cold, they can do a hula hoop contest (laughs) uh, or a few star jumps. Um, but oh, I mean, you know, so some, of the, some of the stuff here, you know, it's like, and also don't don't drink alcohol, that can, you know, make you you colder. And uh, I'll just finish on this with this government figure responded, this was in the FT article, it was uh, able to reflect on these, and he described it, he says, the advice to eat porridge and eschew shoe alcohol was like some Dickensian nightmare, which <laughs> <laughs> I thought... I thought it was quite good. But anyway, I mean, on a serious note, this is a very serious issue. And so there was a little bit of lightheartedness, but really an energy supplier should not be suggesting this. Maybe a bit of loft lagging, uh, you know, and uh, (laughs) uh, underfloor insulation wouldn't go amiss, right?
1: I do love cuddling with my pet. Hugs also really, really good for your mental health. Get, never heard of them helping you keep warm. No. My kids love jumping, bouncing around, hula hoops, trampoline. I'm sure they'll be doing that anyway. But what a bizarre... You'll be fine, You'll be
0: fine this winter, Becky. <laughs>
1: I'll be fine. Get the kids on the trampoline. Yeah. The dog giving me a cuddle. We're we're sorted. No problems.
0: So um, before we move on to the good news, i very quickly just touch upon another bad news item that happened. Is Well, it's it was in relation to today as we're recording. This obviously will go out in a few days' time. Um, but London... Uh, which, Becky, I think you and I have uh, both uh, lived in for a little while, Uh, not now, obviously, but we know the air quality there can be very poor. Oh, gosh, yeah. And I remember cycling in on some days, having to wear a kind of uh, air pollution filter mask Mm -hmm. just to keep the very worst of it. It was always typically in the kind of February, March, April was really bad. Mm -hmm. Um, But today there is a warning out uh, where they predict that Pollution levels will hit band 10. Wow. Um, so unlike Spinal Tap, things don't get worse than 10. 10 is the maximum in terms of uh, air quality. Um, Shocking. Sorry, the minimum. Like it's the worst. Yep. And it would be the worst. This is the first time they'll have hit this level since March 2018. And they're essentially issuing a stay-at-home order.
1: What? Why? What's causing it?
0: Well... You you pick, there's a whole load of issues depending whether the wind is blowing in from the continent, you've got obviously perennial issues around uh, uh, car pollution and, and uh, you know, so, you know, it's all the old culprits. But yeah, they're saying basically don't exercise today. Wow, um,
1: absolutely shocking.
0: There you go. So obviously today being being uh, Friday the 14th, but, um, and hopefully this will, once the, the wind changes direction, things will change. But this is really, really shocking stuff. And... A very good reason why it's not all about carbon emissions, right? Mm-hmm,
1: absolutely. I mean, those air pollutants are, are critical to think about. And in fact, in many cities around the world, I mean, Glasgow included, it's taken COVID and lockdown to get our levels down to kind of, you know, regular, like below what is uh, what the targets are. So, you know, there are many places where things aren't going well. It's, it's really a shame to hear that about London, especially because of all the measures that have been introduced over the past, you know, as you mentioned, like it hasn't been this bad since 2018 and, um, all the measures that they're hoping to introduce. So it's really, really sad to see this. I, I brought my kids up in London. So I lived in London until my, my kids were just, I think about two years old. Yeah. And, um, and actually that buggy height is a really, really bad height for the pollution.
0: Yeah. So. I'm, I'm right by the road as well. So right no, road, it's, yeah. it's nasty and uh, things need to change. So On that note, let's be a bit more positive over to you for a good news story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we were just talking about pollutants. I feel that this is kind of a spot-on lead into what I wanted to talk about, which is that um, according to a um, a new report released by ZapMap, um, they show they they found that less than one percent of uh, of people who now drive electric vehicles would want to go back to petrol or diesel cars. So um, recognizing there are limits in who can drive an electric vehicle, that there are still challenges around the pricing. But actually, people that drove EVs and their plug-in hybrids were much more satisfied with their cars than um, than people that drove combustion vehicles. Mm. And even things like range anxiety that was thought to be a really big issue yeah. in preventing people from switching across, actually not such a big a deal as we really thought about. So that's quite exciting.
0: That's very good news. And as Twitter will no doubt be bored by now, I'm kind of blow by blow account of my own folks who've gone down the EV route. Before me, I should add, um, not, not for want of trying, I just need to say, Save the pennies but yeah they've they've had a, a number of kind of issues but the learning curve is steep and i think ultimately they're keeping up on it but yeah um I, i'm interested to see there that you know many people aren't going to go backwards so I, I think on this transport theme my my uh, good news article actually relates to something that came out this week which relates to scottish government's own consultation on delivering its um target to reduce car kilometres, not miles, kilometres by 20% by 2030. So this is with a view to meeting net zero by 2045. So this is a consultation that's come out. Government said, this is how we're going to do it. And as a good news story, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, one can critique the things that are in there. But as a good news story, this basically outlines what they're going to do over the next two or three years immediately. And for me, it starts to shift the debate from what does the future look like you know this far off distant net zero land in 2045 Mm -hmm. and it says right how do we get there yeah what's the next two or three steps we need to take what's really interesting this becky is that the the number of policies that are in here which aren't really about transport interesting they have an impact on driving but they are kind of much broader than that so it might be things like um focusing on uh, four 5g connectivity Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of you know and uh, extra fast broadband it might be about where we plan and invest our public spaces schools for example and and the school run um where we maybe locate hospitals for example so these kind of decisions are key and are filtering in There's some really interesting stuff in there and yeah i a big pat on the back to scottish government to to making that step forward i think
1: yeah and i mean i mean that's kind of says it all, doesn't it, Matt? Like, the really, transport, you know, getting in the car is not something that most of us do no. because we love getting behind the steering wheel and sitting in the roadworks for, you know, hours on end. Yeah. But actually, we do it because we have to. And so, for me, that's really, this is really exciting because it really starts to show some joined-up thinking across Scottish government because, you know, within mm. within Scottish government, it'll be different departments that focus on these different areas. And so, the fact that it's all being brought together yeah. is very, very positive and exciting.
0: There is a strong focus throughout this on just transition and social justice principles. So how do you make these alternatives to driving accessible to everybody and crucially ensure that everybody benefits? Many of these, the impacts are what we call socialised or externalised. So if the quality of the air is better, as we've just talked about in London, it's better for everybody. But assuming we're talking about the same, same location. And I should have probably began with this but the scale of the car driving problem in Scotland is huge I'm going to ask you a question a bit of a quiz an ode oh an ode to Fraser's absence here <laughs> what percentage of car journeys this is according um to to research undertaken by by uh, on behalf of Scottish government Yeah. in 2019 what percentage of car journeys were under one kilometre so somebody's hopping in the car to go less than a kilometre. It's
1: got to be up there. I reckon it's pretty high. Loads of people get in their cars just to go to yeah. the local shop. So it, maybe around 40?
0: It's it's lower, but not much. It's about, it's just shy of 20%. So one in five journeys, and then under um, five kilometres is over half. So five kilometres is about three miles in, in old money. Uh, so anyway, so that's the scale of the problem, hence why they needed to reduce it. So good to see action being taken. We've linked this to many other problems we've covered. And It's these kind of developments that we're seeing in the pipeline that we're wanting to discuss with our guests a a bit more today is what does 2022 hold? It's post-cop. We've got COP27. (laughs) The cops don't stop. The COP27 (laughs) down the line. It's going to be another busy year. So we ought to roll out the red carpet for our
2: guests.
1: Absolutely. Let's bring them in.
2: My name's Dr. Jeff Hardy, I'm a senior research fellow at the Grantham Institute at Imperial College London and I lead our Energy Revolution Research Consortium work on future energy governance for smart local energy systems.
3: My name is Jen Roberts and I'm a researcher at the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow and my research is all about social technical risks around the transition to a more sustainable future for all.
1: great well welcome Jeff welcome Jen it's so lovely to have you both back on Local Zero obviously friends of the show we've chatted to you before Um we've got a stellar conversation on the cards today so I'm very excited to dive into that but I feel like first of all I should just ask you how your Christmas was did you have a good break
2: yeah yeah <laughs> you don't sound, yeah don't sound <laughs> Been back at yeah. work for a week and a half. It's all gone. <laughs> <laughs> a distant memory.
0: Jen, can, can yeah. you improve upon Jeff's something? Christmas?
3: I can improve on Jeff's Christmas. Um, yeah, I, I had a very welcome, very much needed break. I was absolutely off my screen. I didn't even watch like a t- telly. Wow. You know, I was off screen. And I think most importantly, I actually got to see not... That many members of family but i got to see some family and i was very aware that how lucky that was really yeah. coronavirus was not a visitor in our little household hooray <laughs> yes yeah. coronavirus you are,
1: you are not invited to no. christmas party <laughs> um well i certainly feel you know I, i'm like you jen i took a really nice long break i mean i was totally sick as well I feel like in some ways that actually got me away from my computer even more because my brain was just not up to anything but it's also really helped me get some some clarity it's, it's allowed me to think again the space to think and and I'm hoping that for both of you it's been the same because I'd really like for our conversation to to reflect on you know, where do we need to go? We're just kicking off 2022. And we are now, we've got eight years left in this decade of climate action. So very much moving from, you know, thinking to doing. We have got to act this year if we're gonna get anywhere near hitting our targets. And so I guess kind of in the spirit of that, what I'd really like for us to talk about is what do we need to be doing? What do we actually have to get on the ground this year and and Jeff in our intro we uh, Matt and I reflected on some of the real challenges that lie ahead particularly for um for people that might be on on benefits or for mm. people that might have slightly lower incomes or live in older homes with the uh, with the gas prices the the uh, reflection in our energy bills and so this is a huge issue for thousands of people i mean from your perspective because you were very closely thinking about kind of the policy the markets the regulation side of things where do we need to be putting our attention and our efforts in in the coming year to address some of these challenges?
2: Yeah, uh, it's a really good framing, Becky, and it's it is going to be a really tough year, I think, for all sorts of reasons. It's you know clearly we're in the middle of an energy crisis. Some will have seen on various news outlets um, chief executives of major energy firms saying that this could last for the next two years. You know, gas prices are going to stay high. It. It means we're going to have all sorts of things coming along. So we're going to have um, in February, we're going to hear the announcement of what the next price cap is going to be. That's the the cap on standard variable tariffs and other forms of tariffs in the uh, energy supply market. That looks like it's going up to about £2,000 wow. on average. So that's a 50% increase on what we had in October. You've also got other things that are in and amongst that. You've got the cost of living crisis generally with inflation on the rise. We've also got some impacts of Brexit still in there. We're all a little poorer because of a loss of trade with Europe. So it's going to be a right old squeeze. Now, the other thing that's going on is um, everyone's coming out with what should we do about it in the short term? There's a lot of proposals around. I was trying to collect a few of them earlier. So we've got things like reduce or remove VAT from bills. We've got things like spread the costs of the um, supplier failures over future years, you know, so put them on future consumers essentially. And then we've got things like take the green levies um, that are on the bill currently, they're about 175 pounds a year on the bill. Um, Take those into general taxation, you know, which is less regressive, generally speaking. Lots of things going on. Um, None of those add up to the cost of increase of the bill. You know, you're looking at probably, 400, 500 pounds max um, out of those against an increase of about, um, well, maybe maybe in, in, in a good weather, it might take off um, all of those issues. So it's, you know, there's there's not a lot of wriggle room at the moment. So I guess that the thing that's in my mind, and I yet to see any political appetite behind, is how do you protect consumers against? Bills now and in the future, and the best way to do it is energy efficiency. You know, if you do not spend money on your energy because you do not need to use it, you are going to save money, and it is just—it's still an absolute silence. And see Jen nodding along. I think you've got an ally in this.
3: Oh, I find it so frustrating. I wanted to ask you, Jeff, from the 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 things that you were reviewing, because I have not—I have not done that reviewing. Um, has any of those things then not suggested measures that will reduce demand?
2: Well, I mean, I, I don't see it in any of the political debate at the moment. It's like I'm, I, might be, I might be being unfair, but certainly in the mainstream debate, it's all about kind of like really short term measures that immediately take something off bills. It's not about kind of like, let's use this opportunity to really help consumers now and in the future. You know, because that's what you're talking about. If you, put, if you increase energy efficiency, you're basically sorting a problem in the long term, yes. not in the kind of like the, the, the kind of knee jerk. Um, but perversely, there've been suggestions
0: about removing green levies that fund efficiency schemes like the energy company obligation. So that would remove some money off the bill immediately, but then it would stop all those homes, particularly fuel poor homes, because Eco is very much geared towards that, Yeah. to significantly reducing their energy bills indefinitely not reducing the cost per unit of energy, but the total consumption of, of energy for that household.
1: Right, and efficiency. So, I mean, it, it hits like lots of birds with one stone, right? Because not only will it help with some of the these kind of immediate um, bill impacts, you, you know, you don't need to use as much if you've got a more efficient home, but in the long run, it will help us as we start to shift towards um, electric forms of heating and electrified forms of transport, you know, really have multiple impacts. But I think that one of the reasons that we don't see it as much is because it's such a hard nut to crack because it's pushed towards each individual household to do, to, to make to understand what they need to do in their home, to make the decision, to spend the money. I mean, Jen, you've just been through a lot of this for where you live, right? So it wasn't easy for you. You work in the sector, you are really, really smart, and you have a, a brain suited towards kind of the engineering aspect of things, And you didn't find it easy, did you? No. And this is, a, I, I guess it's, it, this is
3: the experience of this has been very eye-opening and simply the slowness and the frustration. Okay. In the backdrop, we did have Glasgow in lockdown for a lot of it. And so a lot of work couldn't, couldn't go on, but we were looking to, for example, um, simply, I say simply, this is very expensive, replace our windows. So we did have a. Utterly freezing flat, and we've we've put insulation into our flat, which didn't have insulation uh, as a as a top floor flat, um. And the insulation we could get on and do after doing a, a lot of research, a lot of liaising, and we've been very very lucky to have a community that we can engage with, and I can talk more about that community later in the role of that, um, But the time delay between wanting to do something and having actually, in our case, the finance, very lucky to have that finance in place, to then actually getting things installed. It's just it's just huge, and so it's very complicated. It's very frustrating, um, and it's not easy. And I think in the backdrop of that, if we put it back to what Jeff first started talking about, the messaging is just all wrong right now.
0: I'd agree, Jen. The messaging is wrong, and where is the efficiency in that? And I maybe put the question to to, to you both here, and it's something that Jen said earlier. With the focus is on immediate cost reductions on bills. We know that if you've just said, Jen, actually installing the measures takes time, setting up the schemes to deliver those measures takes time. We saw Green Homes Grant uh, last year was rushed through. It went very badly. And so, you know, there's some insidious element here about the, the electoral cycle. So if government went... Hammer and tong at energy efficiency now the benefits probably wouldn't be felt until after the next general election or, or 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 in the lead up to it that's my concern I wanted
2: to take get your views on that I think it's a perfectly reasonable concern Matt um, you know it's it's always been a broad sense that um politically it's much more impactful to be able to cut a ribbon in front of a large new power station or a large new development than it is in front of the absence of energy use, you know, which is what we're really talking about here. You know. So in front of insulated properties or whatever it might be, but it, it, it's a massive issue. The experience that Jen was just talking about of kind of like dealing with all the complexity that's what everyone's going to face if they, um, as they go through this transition you know, because it's not just about having a more energy efficient home, but that is an absolute first step, the most important thing. But then there's lots of other stuff that's going to happen, like about thinking about having a zero carbon heating system, wider zero carbon lifestyle stuff. Now, we're just finished a decarbonization of heat report, which is an Energy Revolution Research Consortium report. I won't go into it in too much detail, but one of the most um, important uh, conclusions in that is that local government, local authorities have got much of the trust, they have much of the ability, and they have the, the remit to deliver not just on, like, say, a local energy efficiency program but also an engagement program on zero carbon heating and lots of other stuff. Now, there's lots of reasons why they can't. Um, You know, they don't have the resources, they don't have all of the capabilities, um, they don't have the mandate in some instances, but they're a natural coordinating body In the middle of all of that that could really be driving this forward because it's going to mean different things in different places as well This zero carbon transition
0: jeff you're hitting a number of buzzwords which i can see relate directly to jen's work here in terms of trust engagement participation and jen i mean if i were to say you know what's the year of 2022 going to be if there was an energy calendar akin to the chinese one it would be the year of participation and engagement it has to be
3: yeah absolutely and it's also the year of voting. Um, I did make some notes <laughs> before um, joining this conversation to, to sort of you know keep my mind a bit organised about kind of top messages and one of the top messages is voting and voice so we've got participation but actually in Scotland we're looking to have the local elections forthcoming. As Jeff said you know we know how local authorities are at absolutely critical to enabling some of these key changes that absolutely must be implemented for reasons of climate and social justice and this you know the discussion we're having about warmer homes that's also about healthier people living in those homes as well you know there's these co-concatenation of outcomes um of some of these changes that we need to implement and what local authorities can do or what they can focus on is is influenced by national government priorities legislation, but also with um, very much a, a role of the elected councillors. The elected councillors can be enablers, they can be disablers. And I think that that in the year of 2022, we're going to see a year, I, I very much hope we're going to see a year of participation, we absolutely have to, to keep this momentum as well. But we also it's, a, it's we're talking politics here and local politics is sometimes dismissed. In the framing of national politics There's less of a big coverage about it, people talk about it less. But it's utterly critical and you can take the example, I suppose, of, um, if you like, of Councillor Anna Richardson in Glasgow. One of her top priorities was to see a network of safe cycle routes in Glasgow with a particular network that would like learn from cities in Europe where not only are there more cyclists, but there's gender parity or more women cyclists. So that was her one of her top priorities. Um Several years later, I'm not sure how many years later, and I might be feeling very weary of this now, um, Glasgow City Council will be publishing its active travel strategy, showing how that cycle network and other forms of transport will be delivered. So there you've got a nice example of the, the, the influence that a local councillors can have because of the power of the local authority in terms of instigating change as well.
1: I mean, do you see as well, I, I, I heartily agree with you, And it frustrates me as well that this has become a political issue. Because (laughs) the changes that we need, in my mind, should not be a political issue. They should be something that, and I I understand the need for local action, right? And there's there's levels of trust at the local level. There's also this this idea that your local authority and these local groups know the community better. They know where things need to be targeted and, and so on. And at the same time, I'm infuriated that it, that it has the potential of turning into kind of a, a political political issue because it should just kind of, trans- in my opinion, just transcend all of that. So I guess kind of, we need to think about that, but there are a lot of people working in this space. There are a lot of very active community organizations, um, energy cooperatives, transport cooperatives and so on that are that are working to deliver this so so what role and and they are they are to a large extent separate from the the local authority and perhaps we could even say don't work closely enough with them but how do you do you see there needs to be um more of a drive for this uh you know how does that need to change moving forwards into into 2022 as well yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, they,
3: there's a really important role of, from the very small level, actually, you touched on this in, in your episode, kind of reflecting on 2021, about how your families are encouraging change, or encouraging each other and sharing information. And that shows a role at a very very lo- local, very personal level. But are these kind of slightly broader local level initiatives, let's say, um, whether it's community interest groups, or um, uh, there There is an important role that these groups play in terms of political pressure, so I will bring it back to politics. I love that you know I started out my studying rocks and <laughs> as, a, as a geologist, and somehow now I'm here, i 'm here to keep talking about politics and i don't <laughs> need to um, but yeah these these, these local groups um, which create so much personal well-being benefit in terms of placemaking, as well as knowledge sharing you know we know that as human beings you can't turn as you know you can't basically um condense us down into models that operationalize everything right we are influenced by the partnerships the, the networks that we have and i suppose we can use an example of the local home retrofit it's a community interest group and um, set up last year that's bringing people together to looking to retrofit um their homes and other measures in their homes um trying to make their homes warmer more carbon um more efficient, and the sharing of experiences of context so the the people that put in my windows were great thank thankfully were great. My brother had windows put into his property at the same time um and every single window is leaking so I am very grateful that that i, I we were able to have a really excellent um people. They also the cheapest, which helps. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, the fact that they did such a great job and we are properly like going around and testing temperatures and all that all that stuff. Yeah. That means I'm sharing their information with the people within this cooperative. And it's like that stuff like that helps, just helps change. And I see a huge role for that going forward in 2022.
0: So are we now moving into a new phase of net zero and a just transition where 2021 big focus on top-down announcements from central government, particularly uh, Westminster. Obviously, devolved administrations had their own announcements too. We had COP26. We had the the great and good of the world coming to Glasgow and figuring out what on earth we need to do to keep 1.5 alive. But 2022, and in my view, over the next coming years, we're moving now from targets to implementation, and that naturally moves things to a much more local and individual community level. We're starting to bring in actors who've maybe been on the subs bench, and another terrible footballing analogy, but on the subs bench <laughs> until now. And now they're drafted in, they've got to do a job. And local authorities, community groups, uh, and Jen, you're talking about these almost sort of grassroots kind of na- neighborhood, informal institutions and, and connections.
2: Is this now, are they now in the spotlight? Yeah, I'm liking your tribute to Professor Van Tam as well in your yes, analogy to that. I think this is very important. So I, I, I think that's true. And let me just step up one level because um, I think it's absolutely right. I was reflecting on it when I was thinking about today's episode. We've been in a, a phase, particularly in the run-up to COP, where there was a splurge of policy announcements, initiatives, all of that kind of thing. But you know, when people stood back from that, it didn't amount to a, a plan, a strategy for delivery. So what you were saying, Matt, I think is spot on. It's now that we've got a whole bunch of ideas, you know, both in the UK and across the devolved administrations about how we're gonna get from here to zero carbon, it's gotta get into delivery. That's what you need. And I think the only agents that can deliver some of those and probably actually the majority of those initiatives are local actors including local government um because it, it's just it's not possible to do a top down across the whole of the u k because everywhere in the u k is different you know you 've got different socioeconomic circumstances you've got different energy systems within different places you've got different building stock whatever it might be different people <laughs> as well it's just you know it's it's not some um homogeneous mix it's it's a heterogeneous country so So, yeah, we've got to get into that phase. I mean, just thinking about what Jen was saying about local action, my street and surrounding streets have just finished a long run battle to keep our low traffic neighbourhood, you know, because it's been an absolutely vicious campaign. It's been horrible, frankly, arguing that kind of like having safe walking for kids and better air quality has been met with vociferous um <laughs> kind of like arguments yeah. <laughs> against freedom and all sorts of stuff yes. but I'm really glad to see that Southwark council you know big kudos to them in London have basically backed it up with data and have gone against what actually was a public vote against the LTNs so it's it's just um yeah it's it's a real funny yeah. world at the moment
0: well that's that's fabulous news Jeff and and Jen I, I'm just thinking here we're, we're talking about this this sort of ecosystem of actors and individuals that we need to bring in. Now they need to be part of that discussion. And I know you've very much major on uh, public engagement. You've been involved in citizens assemblies. Um, I just, wanted to get your take on how we do that.
3: Well, I think, yeah, so I, I liked the framing of um kind of we're moving now into delivery and implementation. Obviously that has a lot of a lot of local impacts in how people um live their lives. And and I would also say that some of that planning has been done in terms of having citizens' assemblies, for example, and and citizens' juries. And we've had so many over the last eighteen months um, it's unbelievable, and that's helped to set the priorities for that particular area. So um, there's been citizens' assemblies, or climate assemblies, held in a number of cities in the UK. And cities are aware a lot of action needs to, to be taken. Um, so we've got that citizen influence in that way in a kind of organized kind of again, that's political and the invitation to then respond to those requirements or requests that and priorities that citizens have made and now we've got a chance to um to then go okay on implementation some of these changes on the ground how are we going to include people into the in those decisions how are we going to make sure that we're not leaving people behind um how are we ensuring that this is an inclusive transition and it is just very difficult and the people who live in the area they are the ones that 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 understand their their area and understand what's needed and understand who and what and where and so this is the thing we need these new methods of of decision making and i know that on the pod you, you have explored you know, actually placing more power in the hands of citizens, whether that's around spend, um, whether it's around decision making. But I think that there's a really important role in terms of, um, it's not, um, <laughs> tell Is me about- things
0: like citizen budgeting, you know, where you're yeah. asking citizens, what, you know, if we've got a hundred pounds, how much of that would you put on this?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So it's prioritising spending. It's actually putting the power into the hands because some of the issues around um these- participatory processes of actually like what happens next you've included i would say it's almost more damaging to include people in a conversation and then not implement what they've said that there are, their priorities are because you're silencing people at that point you've invited them in to join a conversation and then you're not actually acting upon that so i'd say 2022 is also the year to be working out how to act on these priorities that have been set um and If I may also kind of add in here that this is far beyond climate action, this is about so much more than carbon. If we boil this all down to carbon, we're missing a massive trick and we're not going to really think about carbon in a kind of a whole systems framework as well. Then we're not going to actually deliver a sustainable future. So I think that um, we're seeing a shift in framing to actually what are the futures that people want? This isn't about these very triggering very um, sensitive topics it's actually about the environment and future that people want they want to get around easy they want a quiet safe neighborhood
0: it's not cars it's mobility you know that kind of discussion
3: yeah absolutely and so I think that um we've seen that shift towards talking about uh these I want to say co-benefits but I feel like that's such a in this the context here it's a very jargony phrase it's just what do people want
1: for the future of where they live and where they work yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And
0: so Becky's bursting. I- <laughs> you said yeah, co-benefits, it- <laughs> Jen. That's a triggering term. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I want to touch on something. So I, I might just divert us for a minute. But like, I'm reading this book. It's got absolutely nothing to do with climate change, <laughs> energy. Um, I like to ground myself in something completely different when I when in my kind of reading. But it's it is looking at performance. And how to achieve things that are really hard, and I think this for me is where it kind of ties back to to what we need to do because I don't think we should be fooling ourselves. The changes that are coming are difficult; they're not easy. If they were easy, we would have delivered them already. And they're going to require action across all of society. And so, for things that that are difficult, we need to see greater levels of motivation. And where this kind of book ties in is this brings me back to motivation theory, which I actually studied in my PhD. I feel like it's kind of take it's time traveling me in in some ways, and. But it's reminded me that, you know, to be able to, to have this motivation for the things that we want. So let's take these priorities, which are right, Jen, it, it might not just be about carbon. It's about bringing that together and looking at these, these better lifestyles for everyone. But then how do we, how do we deliver that? How do we create that motivation to, to reach that? And, and the book really talks about three pillars, um, to do that. And one is around um, control and empowerment. So you are more likely to have that, those kind of stronger, more intrinsic levels of motivation, you know, coming from within. If you feel like you have some control over that future and some sort of empowerment, the second pillar is about competency. So really like, do you have the skills to deliver that? And how can we make sure that, you know, not necessarily every single individual, but across our communities, we have the the skills. Um, But the third piece, And I don't know why I always forget this third pillar. And in some ways, I think it's almost the most important one is around a sense of belonging. You know, that you are doing this as part of something that is bigger than yourself, as part of that community. And for me, looking back at COP26, I feel like although we might have been talking about these kind of higher level dialogues, national priorities, you know, it did in some ways galvanise that action and bring to bring it sort of created that shared sense of of purpose and belonging that we were coming together to work on something, whatever that kind of coming together was. And I I feel that's really inspired me at the end of last year. But moving forward to twenty in twenty twenty two, and if I think about those three pillars, right, the control, the empowerment, the upskill, the belonging. To me, this comes right back to how are we going to enable our local communities to do that when right now local authorities and local community groups are, you know, running on fumes, (laughs) Um, we need stronger resources. Look at the green homes grant that we just talked about, right? One of the failures of that was not necessarily for want of, of finance, but it was in that delivery. Um, it was the lack of upskilling in the areas where it needed to happen. It was looking at where there was, um, you know, the empowerment and, and in terms of then getting it out into people's homes. And so I'm just wondering, like how these kind of, these, these things sort of sit with you guys and and particularly Jen, I know you've done a lot of work with local communities and I feel like things like citizens assemblies that you talked about are really, really important to make sure we understand what people want. But then when we sort of translate that to look to deliver it, we need to do a lot more right we need to really start to focus on how we're going to drive that action
3: yeah we yeah we do and i, I wish i had a really comprehensive way of setting out exactly how we're going to do that but we, <laughs> i don't and we're in this in this climate as well of, of um you know totally squeezed budgets i can't remember the phrase that jeff used earlier but like basically with the, the there's the funding is very slim and and so it's really very difficult to think about how do we how do we resource that and I don't think we should be relying on people giving up their free time that's not respectful that's not good work you know that's not a fair and inclusive model for the future and we know lessons from community energy projects right we know lessons from that that you're more likely to have success, you're empowering people, there's a load of little co-benefits, I said little, I did not mean little, there's a load of co-benefits that are associated, it's beyond energy, and it's kind of beyond community as well, in terms of enabling um, change. And then we know also that those community energy projects, then the agency, the um, action that that, that, that started around an energy project might then be translated to other aspects within community, within society. So... Enabling and resourcing these community organisations is is absolutely critical, and I just
1: I don't know how it's done. So, Jeff, what do we need from government? Like, the government need to do something here to enable that to happen?
2: Well, I think so. I was just thinking about your three um, your three uh, things there, Becky. So, um, in the in the heat report, which I should say is should be out uh, in a first or second week of February, depending on which date we settle on for the launch. Um, those three things really strongly accord with some of the recommendations we're doing which are all really about devolving responsibility resources um to local government and local actors to deliver um on zero carbon heating and wider zero carbon energy policy because you know on the on the competency um local authorities and other actors are going to need resources which we know they've been pretty hollowed out over the um past decades actually and the capabilities, people, skills, all of that kind of stuff, they're going to want um, to have some control, um, but they're also going to want to empower those around them to make the right decisions. So these have to be collective, place-based. You know, this is the right zero carbon pathway for us, and here are the things that we um, value in that. So that we, yeah, you know, we do talk about co-benefits as academics, but really, it's like, what do we want out of it? You know, it's a social contract more than anything else. You know, in return for doing this, we will get that. And then there's belonging. You know, this is all about place based stuff. You know, it's the homes we live in, it's the mobility systems we have around us, it's where we work, all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, it has to be um, tied up with that sense of belonging as well. So stay tuned for the heat report. The other thing we're thinking about in Energy Revs, I haven't got any answers at all for you whatsoever, but. it was mentioned earlier, we're going to do a series of workshops um, going into the spring this year. Those workshops are all about um, what decisions do we need to take to allow these smart and local energy systems to deliver on their benefits, to deliver their thing um, ultimately. So this is going to be um, presenting um, two stakeholders in workshops called decision theatres. Um, Information from Energy Web: a synthesis of the kind of like the evidence we have. Then ask them to take those decisions. What are the most important decisions you think are required um, to do this? And they're brilliant these decision theatres because you basically lock people in a room until they consent to a decision. Yeah, until they give you give you some answers. Yes, it's, yeah. obviously
0: voluntarily. Um, but uh, we'll have to get you back on to speak to those. We we are fast running out of time, so I just wanted to end on this question to you both. Um, my concern big big concern for 2022 is that the cost of living crisis could push green and net zero you you fill that sustainability with whichever buzzword you fancy that will fall off the agenda because we're starting to see as we maybe pick up from the initial point is that short-term cost reductions are going to be what um, government are under pressure to deliver so how do we avoid that happening I think we've touched upon a lot of the issues We're asking uh, communities what they want. Climate uh, action remains extremely popular, but how do we avoid that happening? How do we avoid 2022 being the year that green fell off the map?
3: Keep this momentum. We know that the public... The climate crisis climate action is an incredibly high priority absolutely it's topping the the polls at the end of last year Um, it's a very high priority let's not let government distract us from that we're not seeing strong leadership in this in this energy crisis which is potentially distracting but we need to keep it on the agenda and keep this motivation so i think if anything the year of 2022 needs to be the year of motivation of keeping climate on the agenda and we know that the public is high in the public priority.
0: Brilliant, thank you, Jen. And Jeff, you've, I think you may have the last
2: words, so no pressure. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so um, so I, I massively agree with Jen, actually. The argument we must constantly make is that zero carbon is the way out of both the, the climate crisis, but also the cost of living crisis. You know, it, it's commensurate, you know, energy efficiency is commensurate with reducing the cost of living crisis. Renewables, getting away from fossil fuels is commensurate with getting away from our reliance on gas. Um, and air quality, um, other climate change aspects will cost us more if we delay action. That is the point. It's kind of climate change. Um, yes, it costs to avoid it, um, but it costs cost a lot more if you don't. And that's what all of the economics says. So it's kind of like it is a complete false economy to basically um, delay action, because it will come back and bite you in the arse if you um, take a Fraser term. <laughs> I, I
0: like it. And I and I think there's a yeah. number of key lessons which we can, we can take yeah. forward. So I just wanted to thank you both for your time uh, and your wisdom. Uh, it's been a really fascinating chat. Um, and of course, you know, this is an open invitation. We hope to have you back again soon. So if you're willing and you've had a good time, Please do come back.
1: Yeah, and I love how Jeff channeled his inner Fraser. Thank <laughs> you for that. <laughs>
0: I'm missing him already.
1: <laughs> so, Matt, it sounds like we have a lot to take forward to 2022. We really need to make sure we're focusing a lot more on, on resourcing, empowering our communities, empowering local authorities, using better forms of data and evidence to support decision making supporting engagement with citizens engagement with communities and working across priorities but not letting climate slip away connecting all of those priorities together with climate kind of front and center of that focus but but you know linking it linking it with our health with our well-being and and how we want to have better lives in the future so sounds like
0: we're gonna be another busy year yeah Is that right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. a,
1: a very busy year to focus on all of that so a lot of excitement to come and, and brilliant to have uh, Jeff and Jen help us set the tone for 2022 so I guess I guess we're done for this first episode. What, what a what a, what an episode that's been. Um, of course, please do join the conversation. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Local Zero Pod. Join in the conversation there. Um, if you're either like me and pretty inept with social media, or if you want to share some longer thoughts, you can email us. Our email address is localzeropod at gmail.com. So please do reach out to us on that. We are now back manning it again after a few weeks off over the Christmas and New Year break but for now I think all all that's left to do is to thank our guests again and thank everybody for listening um so we will see you next time thanks and bye
2: until then bye-bye bye Bye. thanks folks (laughs) bye-bye
0: Produced by Bespoken Media.